0: When starting a podcast, one step in the journey is landing a sponsorship. And in 2021, CT Startup is thankful to have two sponsors. One of those sponsors is Connecticut Innovations, or as some people know it, CI, an organization that has been a key player in turning Connecticut into a hub for innovation. In 2020, Bloomberg ranked Connecticut as the fourth most innovative economy in the country. And CI is one of those organizations here in Connecticut that can take credit for that ranking. CI is Connecticut's strategic venture capital arm and is the leading source of financing and ongoing support for innovative, growing companies. By offering equity investments, strategic guidance, and introductions to valuable partners, they are enabling promising businesses to thrive. For more information on how Connecticut Innovations can work with your company, please visit their website, www.ctinnovations.com. is CT Startup, your source for information on entrepreneurs, investors, and resources in the Connecticut startup ecosystem. From university campuses to industrial labs, from Stanford to Hartford, and from Danbury to Norwich, if it's happening out there in Connecticut, you'll find it in here. Welcome to CT Startup. All right, so we are back with another episode of the CT Startup Podcast. Uh, and today we're going to be uh, talking with a person that uh, I, uh, it's interesting that you connect with people uh, over the years here in the Connecticut Startup Ecosystem. And then a few years later, you connect on another project and it just kind of snowballs from there. Um, so we're happy to be to have uh, Bernard Francois of Preview Labs here uh, with us today. Uh, uh, Bernard, how's it going?
1: I'm doing fine, thank you. And thank you for having me on the show.
0: Yeah, and so uh, so also for the first time back uh, this season, Chris uh, Demuro is back on the podcast. How are you doing, Chris?
2: Hey, Eric. It's been a while. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> it has. It has. So um, so anyway, so Bernard, um, I I remember the first time I met you. Uh, it was at an Entrepreneur uh, Innovation Awards. It was down in New Haven. Uh, I was uh, part of the Trifecta Ecosystems team that was uh, we were pitching, and I remember uh, kind of running into you and talking about game de- uh, development and how you just moved to uh, New Haven uh, and so forth. Uh, and so uh, so let's kind of take it back to that conversation and, and just tell our audience, like, how'd you, how'd you get here uh, to New Haven?
1: Yeah, so basically, well, uh, to the topic of the company that we do rapid prototyping with game technology, I, I started that company back in 2010. And um, from there, um, yeah, I, I was born and raised in Belgium, actually, so I uh, that's where I started my company. and. and um pretty early in the company i started noticing a lot of interest from the u.s a lot of clients from the u.s more than half of our revenue was coming from clients in the u.s actually so i started traveling more and more to the states um going to the game developers conference in san francisco every year then extending that with a bit of a business trip visiting some clients um along the way and and then uh, yeah, I was already thinking like maybe I should start uh, a business in, in the States, like a second business entity. First, I was thinking maybe hiring a salesperson to do that for me, uh, or for the company better. Um, and, but then I, I kind of, uh, yeah, I met this girl, uh, um, at, when I was at the, uh, uh, at the, at, at the GDC, uh, the game developers conference one year. And then I said, hmm, I see, uh, I see something really interesting here. Like I can, uh, I can, uh, give this new relationship a chance. And then, uh, and then start the company myself. It's going to be easier. If, uh, you know, if you do something yourself, it, it's always a bit easier, especially when you started a company, you're the founder, you, you're very passionate about what you do hiring a salesperson and kind of, uh, transferring that passion over to somebody else it's it's kind of tricky so the easiest person or the best person to do the sales or that can do it most easy is is a is a founder often but anyway so this is kind of a bit of a long story that uh, brought me to the states basically I said okay let's start this company and uh, and yeah she she's my wife now so she uh, she does research in in games at Yale Uh, so that's how I ended up in the New Haven uh, area and then and of course I wanted to start networking, uh, not knowing too many people in the very local area. I mean, we had a lot of clients in the States, but that's like all over the place uh, and it's a big country. So so I needed to get to know uh, some people locally and networking and that, that's how we ran into each other. So uh, that that is a, a long story behind the uh, yeah. encounter and so i so i, I didn't want to go
0: right off into it but a lot of people here in connecticut um your story is not uh unique in the sense that there's a lot of people it's like how did you end up in connecticut well so, well my wife got a job here um my my husband got a job here uh we yeah. had this opportunity one of us had this opportunity and i i'm just coming along because you know i love this person and i'm here so it's a, it's one of those things where it's a it's a common thread but it's also yeah. one thing where that's a good thing because your wife is doing some, you know, great stuff at Yale, doing some high end uh, research at Yale, and it's bringing other high end kind of people into the ecosystem. So I, I didn't want I kind of wanted you to yeah. uh, tell the story, but it's a uh, it's a common thread through a lot of people that move to uh, move here.
1: Yeah, I, I, uh, I think it was one of my first networking events like. People basically asked, "Why did you? Why New Haven? Why did you move here?" And it's like, "Oh, you're a trailing spouse." <laughs> that's <laughs> that's that's what they call it. So that's something I learned, uh, which is interesting. I mean, I ended up deciding it was a very conscious decision uh, to come here as well. But it, it, it yes, the wife uh, or well, then girlfriend had definitely uh, a, a lot to do with it. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very good. So uh, get into the uh, gaming a little bit. So your your kind of company does uh, some rapid prototyping, does some kind of MVPs or helps people get off the ground. So like is, is gaming kind of the,
1: the area that you play a lot
0: in, in, in terms of your uh, MVPs or uh, prototypes?
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, the way I got into the gaming industry, it, it was actually, yeah. I mean, as a kid, it was already a passion. Of course, I played games, but Uh, I also got into kind of developing some games myself Um, and that was really something I I discovered that it's even more fun as as playing a game and and then later I I studied and I said I'll I'll study computer science I didn't really think of necessarily making game development a career Um, but at some point I, I that passion came up again also one of of my friends, who was a few years older, he was working at a games company, he, um, and and that was really interesting. Like, I, I kind of I, that kind of opened uh, something in, in terms of oh, it's a, it is possible to work uh, in the games industry. It wasn't something I had considered. I thought that's something if, if you're in California or something, not if you're in in, in Flanders and, and Belgium. Um, so yeah, from there, uh, I, I really set my mind on that, and I, I started working. Um, for a few games companies, but uh, one of the things I always liked was doing game jams, where kind of like hackathons where you make a game in 48 hours. And I really enjoyed that so much. And and I also noticed when working on longer game projects, like of six to nine months in duration, I noticed that I really liked the beginning more. And that's kind of how I started with this idea of, of starting prevelabs to offer rapid prototyping as a service. And the idea behind it was really more uh yeah i wanna i just wanna be doing like game jams every day that was but how can i sell that and that, that's how i came up with the business model but yeah initially the idea was to do specifically this as a service like prototyping um for video games for pure entertainment purposes but i i yeah, pretty quickly noticed that there was a, a demand for a lot of different applications using the same technology and so it's really using the same skill set um, in terms of understanding the vision of where somebody wants to go and then coming up with what is needed for a prototype. And then technically, it's the same. We use the same technology. It's video game engines, such as Unity and Unreal Engine uh, in order to build it. So uh, so yeah, it started just games, but then it kind of grew towards other uses of the technology. So there's a lot of different uses, like you have a, like training or uh, simulation um interactive data visualization there's interactive installations kind of like in theme parks for example um so there's a lot of different uh, ways to use the technology and then we have like the whole wave of vr and ar other companies trying to figure out figure out what that means to them that technology and then they kind of want to experiment so that that's how we we grew from games towards more broader area of uh, all kinds of applications of the technology
2: that's um that's actually really interesting. So I have to ask, you know, what were the what were the games you were passionate about at, in your youth? You know, what kind of led you, you know, the first steps down this path?
1: Yeah, one of the things is uh, is that maybe this defines me that but that I uh, I don't like to spend too much time on on the same thing for too long. Like maybe that's just why I like prototyping as well. So with games, that was kind of the same. I I played a lot of different games, and I like variety trying. All kinds of different games and and see how they work, what makes them tick. Um, and as a player, I kind of like to just play through the game and kind of get over it, and go to the next game. But uh, so I um, like uh, and at the very beginning, like when I was like five years old, we had a uh, it was a a Macintosh SE thirty, which is kind of like the Mac classic, kind of kind of this like one integrated computer thing with separate keyboard and mouse, but. Uh, um and yeah i started playing some games there there was a game i played that was called uh, scarab of Ra which is like you're in the pyramid and you're kind of exploring kind of kind of like a maze but in first person view uh, but like only one uh, movement at a time it's not like not like a first person shooter that you can just look around uh kind of like an adventure game there were some other games there uh, one was called uninvited which was like a really more like a more traditional adventure game where you have an inventory and other characters. And, uh, but from there, uh, yeah, I turned uh, more towards PC gaming. Uh, like uh, I, in the beginning, I, I really enjoyed a lot of platformers. Uh, there was Duke 1 and Duke 2, which then led to the first-person shoot, shooter, Duke Nukem. Uh, I liked strategy games. There was a Red Alert, which was one of the early strategy games that I really yeah. played a lot. Uh, and <laughs> then, later, yeah, it was awesome. And and then we had a few computers uh, by that time, and and we could kind of network it, uh, so we could play uh, multiplayer games. Uh, uh, yeah, oh, you were bad. one of
2: those guys. I was always jealous of those guys. You guys get a bunch of computers together, do like a LAN party.
1: Yeah, but that was even before we. I, I'm I, I'm not exactly sure if it was before we had internet or not, but we had a local network and yeah. the internet was really slow at the time. Uh, so we just yeah, that's what we did. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. And and then later, uh, uh, like talking about RTS, I got into Age of playing Age of Empires too. Um, and that's uh, while well, I was still at my parents at the time, and that kind of. Uh, that game convinced my parents to get a broadband internet connection because, because of the phone bills. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, So that that was fun, but I I played a lot of different games. I I played also like first person shooters or even uh, racing games. Um, Yeah. A lot of, a lot of different games and, and um, yeah, it was always interesting to see what's out there and uh, to really follow that evolution and, and, uh, was also subscribed to one of the magazines. I think it was PC Gameplay. It was called in Belgium. Um, so they were just reviewing all the games all the time, and I was kind of trying to stay on top of that. So that was a lot of fun uh, until I discovered making games and then and just programming your own little games and kind of and I kind of discovered that that's even more fun. Uh, so that's how I uh, and then I kind of forgot all about it when I started my studies, but. Uh, and, but then that came back as uh, as told yeah.
2: that's 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 re- yeah I definitely recognize a lot of those those games so that's um that's really interesting you know again I guess I figure if you're into this prototyping into these games there had to have been somewhere you started right and I'm kind of the same way I, I definitely bounce between genres you know I'll play you know first-person shooters I'll play strategy uh, right now I'm playing like a tactical uh, first-person shooters like 50 versus 50 people Um and you know i i too will jump i'll go from one to the next to the next world of warcraft definitely claimed a lot of years uh a little too much but yeah at some point it's like ah, uh, i need something new
1: that makes a lot of sense like yeah I, I never really got deeply into world of warcraft i only played it a little bit uh i did play some counter-strike quite quite a while oh yeah that was, that uh, was a good time yeah, it's crazy how some of these games keep going and going in terms of, like, Counter-Strike is still being played. I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, 35, 36, <laughs> I'm 36, and, uh, I was playing it when I was, uh, I think, yeah, 15. Uh, and yeah. I remember that they introduced voice chat into Counter-Strike uh, in one of the updates, and it was kind of, that was really interesting. Uh, Game
2: changer, but, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, uh, but that's uh, that's really amazing how these games can. Some of these games are like, they just keep going, and it's it's yeah. But uh,
2: that's and that's actually that's actually a pretty good segue to what I what I wanted to ask you next. Time. You had mentioned you know, VR and AR are starting to be uh, projects you're taking more and more on. Um, are you seeing like a lot more interest in that stuff? And like, what kind of pro- is it? Games or is it more you know? Um, Practical uses, you know, uh, of like AR and stuff. What are you seeing over there?
1: Yeah, I would say uh, uh, the whole VR and AR thing actually fits uh, 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 even a broader tendency uh, or trend of applying game technology in different areas. So that's really something that has taken off over the last maybe, yeah, Pretty much since we started the company, I, I think that kind of was coincidentally around the same time that it started. Um, but like, yeah, around ten years ago, maybe it, that started growing, and 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 it's only very recently that also the providers of the technology, like Unity Technologies and, and Epic Games that has a Unreal Engine, have have really starting to pick up on that as well and kind of catering towards that audience. And and it is so there is this broader trend in the industry. Uh, where this technology is starting to get used uh, in all kinds of cases and not just for video games. Maybe it has something to do with people, uh, kind of this video game generation uh, getting in, into these positions where they can start to pull in the technology for for their own use. But it's also the technology itself that is, has been evolving. And and indeed, like VR and AR, it's, it's very, I would say... Um, it's a very inspiring kind of technology like it's it's kind of fascinating and then people start thinking about it what does it mean for me for their whatever they do um, and i think that that really uh, started a lot of things it's kind of the same thing with like with with the smartphone apps right like uh and uh, yeah in uh, around 2010 everybody uh, was thinking oh yeah we have a website but now we need to have an app and what, what does that mean and and what can we do with with an app? And then people start imagining things. Whatever you can do uh, on the road, or you're somewhere, and and, and you have your phone, and you, and that can become uh, something meaningful. And and I, I think that's uh, yeah, it's the same with game technology. It's it's opening people's eyes for for that, and with, with VR and AR as well. So uh, um,
0: so are you? Yeah. So does that kind of you know you kind of mentioned the. Um... Like game, so like game mechanics, right? A lot of people are gamifying their their processes. They want to make it more engaging. Is that kind of what you're seeing? Is that like companies are like, I want to gamify my process, or I want to engage more people with you know certain kind of techniques? So we're gonna put awards, and we're gonna put badges, and we're gonna put the hero's journey kind of in this. Is like, is that kind of what you're seeing when you when you're saying that like everybody's just trying to kind of you know piece together the, these different? Yeah, like, I mean, there's concepts?
1: definitely. Yes, there is definitely the aspect of, of gamification in terms of people also trying to figure out what that means to them. Uh, I was more referring to the technology itself, like if you have VR or AR, people see it and they think, "Wow, you can." Uh, it's like you pretend to be somewhere else and you can do things and and do all yeah virtually practice something without even having the real equipment. And and what does that mean? And 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 uh, one of the things that I've I've seen and heard. Uh, is for example, in manufacturing industries, That um, one of the other tendencies that is going on at the same time or has been going on for a long time is that people are kind of changing jobs faster. It's not like they, they'll work in metallurgy for their entire life and then become really very good at understanding how these processes uh, work. No, people leave faster. And so there is a huge demand for, um, for training and education and, and also capturing the knowledge. Uh, before it disappears from people. Like there's jobs where it just doesn't exist anymore that people will stay in that one job for their entire career. That means there's never going to be people anymore that are that skilled at, at, at doing that one specific job. Uh, so training becomes, uh, unless you train in, 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 a, in a really better way. And, and that, that's something that that I've definitely seen going on. And um, yeah, when it comes to gamification, uh, yeah, we focus really on, on game technology. Gamification itself isn't always something where you need the technology. You can gamify uh, in a, in a normal website. You can gamify in a, in a meeting if a meeting if you wanted to. Like uh, so, uh, we focus. Like sometimes, uh, of course, there is game technology and gamification combined. That definitely happens. Um, but I would say it's a it's a really wide range of different applications. I wouldn't say it's specifically people that wanna gamify their own process. And in many cases, uh, people that we work for are, do want to build a product for that kind of market. For example, it's, 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 it's not usually like one company that says, okay, we want to optimize our processes, but maybe it's a startup that wants to offer this kind of solution to a lot of companies. And that's where it becomes more interesting because it is, it is definitely time intensive. Uh, you have to do, it, it takes a lot of time to build software and, and we're just at the start of it with, with our prototyping uh, uh, business, but uh, there is a lot of work. Uh, it takes a lot of time to build something and so that makes it expensive. So um, yeah, a good approach is, is to kind of see a common need in the market maybe and then and try to cater to that need. And then and then, uh, yeah, we're there as a company that can help such a startup to uh, yeah, to experiment and see what it exactly is that they need to build. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and it's it's been interesting over the past uh, year or so. I've been seeing more more people looking at VR and AR as um, a business tool, right? To For a lot of cases to train people to do certain things, to put them in front of a crowd so they can learn how to talk better or do a presentation better, right? So it's, you know, the game industry definitely uh, pushed forward the uh, VR and AR technology, but then now it's it's getting to a point where it, you can jump it into a B2B kind of service or, or you know, kind of platform. Because for a lot of, for a lot of uh, scenarios, like VR is good for practicing something and in one way, shape, or another, you know, practicing some, some sort of thing. So, so that is uh, an interesting. And uh, so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of take it a little bit different way. So uh, I have been, uh, the past couple of weeks, and, and Chris knows this, is that I've been seeing a bunch about uh, NFTs, right? Non-fungible tokens uh, and, and, and so forth, and all about this digital art, that, that's happening uh, out there, and I saw this uh, this tweet uh, um, from this guy for who it was, but he said something about like you know I'm going to put my conspiracy hat on, and you know the the rise of NFTs and the rise of like this digital art is because uh, Disney has so many Marvel movies in in the uh, in the kitty that and they don't have enough people to design on the Unreal Engine and on you know on, you know the, to actually do the design work in, in these uh, these platforms. And so, I guess, like my kind of why I bring that up is that, like, is it is there like a, a special skill set for the people that are working in in, in the Unreal Engine and working in um, uh, in Unity and stuff like that? Like these platforms are making it much more easier to build these these big environments, right, in in uh, the digital
1: world, right? Yeah. So uh, they definitely do make it easier. I mean. Um, In the past, in the games industry, it used to be that you almost had to build your technology from scratch, like, or, or, I mean, it was really, uh, it was a thing, like, you had to choose, like, am I going going to use an existing engine, a game engine, or am I going to use, uh, write my own game engine, and that was kind of something people would seriously consider when starting to develop a game. Right now, nobody... Uh, who's in their right mind will uh, really do that unless they're, they're doing something highly unique or they want to really become that kind of company. But normally, if you want to make a game, yeah, you just say, okay, what are we going to use? Are we going to use Unity? Are we going to use Unreal? And then they just go with it. So, yes, yeah, that really speaks to the fact of uh, how easy they, they've they made it in terms of um, capturing all the kind of the thing that all games have in common or all uh, yeah, if we're talking about real-time interacting interaction with 2D graphics, 3D graphics, but things are kind of being rendered in real time. So that has a lot of things in common on its own. And, and you can definitely cater to that. So they have a whole, both Unity and Unreal have like, uh, like a scene system where you can build a scene and you can put objects into positions. And it, it saves all that for you. And it makes it easy to kind of uh, add in animations or, um, or and then change the lighting uh or and then add your code to it uh so that's kind of the whole editor where you can kind of set up your scene that that really helps a lot they have these visual tools that if if you would have to build that off from scratch it's just it's just too much work but at the same time it's not like it becomes uh easy to to an extent that you you need to have no skill at all or, or or you don't need to know about programming to make a game uh that's not actually true you do need uh actual programming skills uh to be able to program something and to and it's it helps if you can kind of understand a bit of the underlying technology but it is it is the case that sometimes they make it look almost too easy where um oh yeah you, you can just take these different components i'm going to take a first person shooter thing and i'm going to combine it with something and i'm going to drop in the gun or whatever and then and then then i have a shooter or something Uh, yeah maybe that is true to a very limited extent but as soon as you want to make any changes you're going to be kind of stuck so uh, so yeah uh, there's still uh, an area where programming skills are needed Uh, all the artwork creation is is still something that you need to be able to do although you can find a lot of of the shelf uh, uh, artwork that you can use as well Um, so yeah this uh, i would definitely say it for sure yes it has been Uh, it made it a lot easier or a lot of the kind of more boring and and reinvention of the real kind of tasks are kind of have been eliminated quite effectively Uh, and so people can focus really more on the what makes their own creation unique and that's really that is really awesome so you don't have to you don't have to become a technology company to to make a game yeah Uh, you can just be a game company
0: yeah, and it and it's been like it was fascinating to me because really last year was like the first time I got like introduced to the Unreal. Um, I've been I, at not uh, uh, not like you two. I don't really play video games anymore. I haven't really played video games in a while. I just maybe just like. I I didn't get the the next Xbox or my Xbox 360 kind of craft out. Actually, I'll just kind of go back. Is that uh, every time I hear a Roots album, uh, it brings me back to to uh, uh, playing through Max Payne and just like you know just that, that, nice. that uh, it, I don't know it just brings me back to a moment of playing Max Payne. Um, but but with Unreal, right? Like last year, I was really kind of understood what was happening in the space and kind of got to see it. And it's fascinating to see how the gaming industry and like motion pictures are kind of you know, they're, they're almost using the same, they're in a lot of times using the same engine. They're doing a lot of the, kind of the, the, uh, interesting work. So it's, it's just kind of interesting how, um, the technology is catching up where it's blending into all different aspects of our life. And we're, we're seeing it all the time now, but you just may not know it. Right. Um, and it's, and it's because of the game industry kind of, you know, uh, just like other industries, sometimes they push the technology further than, uh, uh, the needs space. So um, I, I do want to kind of get back to the idea of um, you kind of landing in, in New Haven and kind of the startup ecosystem, right? So can you like, tell us a little bit about kind of how your experience was being, you know, kind of a, a trailing spouse uh, coming in and uh, uh, kind of navigating this ecosystem. Was it a welcoming ecosystem? Did, did you, did, have you tended to find other people that are passionate about games here in Connecticut? Like, tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so I think there's two aspects to that. If, if you can look at it from the side of just the general ecosystem in terms of, yeah, networking with other businesses and and people and then, and then indeed, more specifically in games. Um, so, yeah, I think I one of the first things I did after landing in New Haven is just to go to, like, meetup.com and, and see, okay, what's out there? And then, of course, specifically for business networking. So there were a few different... Uh, Uh, places I went to, there was this uh, business breakfast uh, um, that was organized, Uh, I think they still do the the meetings, um, where there was a speaker and then people come and and they kind of, there is a quick round of introductions and then there's a speaker meeting while you're having breakfast. Uh, So that was a lot of fun and then there was, uh, uh, people very quickly referred me to the Grove at the time. which is uh, renamed now, but uh, that's that's where there were different um, yeah, meetups and, and and a lot of startups. So it's just a matter of just going there and just start talking to people, basically. So that was a, a really nice experience. So that was like, a, that's definitely an environment where I felt really at home. Uh, so that, that was really nice. And then just, yeah, just uh, talking to people and going for coffee. And, and and that's how I started to get to know. And, and of course, at the same time, when I talk about, my work people would say, "Oh, I know somebody here or there um, who has an interest in, in, in game development, or, or they're doing something with the game engine, or they're making three D art, or, or whatever. Anything that's related, of course, people will mention, and then and then you just follow those leads, and you and um, and that, so that brings us to the topic of like game development in, in Connecticut. So one of the things I, I was doing, and so I'm actually doing in, in, in Belgium, I'm the Uh, the chairman of the Flemish Games Association, so the industry organization uh, representing the video games industry in the the state of of Flanders, which is the northern half of the country. Um, And um, what I noticed is... uh, I mean, I kind of did a similar thing after I graduated, like what I did in New Haven, kind of exploring a new community. When when you graduate, you kind of do something similar, kind of connecting with other like-minded people, and uh, or at least that's what I did. I, w- I would go on LinkedIn every day and see who is new in my region that has specified uh, computer games as their industry, and people that newly signed up. But it was a time that people are just starting to sign up on LinkedIn, um, and... Um so that, that's how I got to know a lot of people. And I kind of, and I noticed there wasn't a lot of games industry in the beginning, but over the last 10 years, it really grew um, in Flanders, in Belgium. And, and uh, when I, I uh, arrived in New Haven, I kind of noticed that, oh, there's maybe not that much games industry uh, going on yet in uh, Connecticut, or there is some, but, uh, and, and because I saw how much this industry association could do in, in, in Belgium, I said, okay, what is industry association in Connecticut? Okay, there is no, uh, so I just started to keep track of, uh, kind of started building a list of all the people that I met that had some interest in game development or referred me to other people and kind of trying to kind of map the industry. And then from there, I said, okay, let's do a meeting. Let's let's all get together. So we organized, a get together for everybody to kind of meet and see, like, hey, I think it would be useful to maybe form an industry association in Connecticut, and that's. That's how I started, uh, or how we started collectively, uh, Dev FCT uh, to to be an organization for the games industry in Connecticut and to grow that industry. And it, it it I do see a lot of potential, as in that it's 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 pretty small right now, and and there is a few companies and 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 schools, definitely a few schools, well teaching game development and and kind of, uh, resulting in, in some quality people there that that can enter the market and and there's really a lot of potential there for, for to create something. Those people don't need to go to uh, if it's nearby to New York or, or Boston or, or California, uh, they, they can uh, maybe hang out with each other and, and see, uh, come up with some ideas and, and make some games together. And then, uh, so that's kind of, to me, that was something that came naturally as uh, somebody from the games industry entering Uh, New Haven entering Connecticut, kind kind of uh, trying to get to know people. And and it it, it felt like a really interesting uh, pursuit, uh, kind of, it it, it turns my networking into something with with a a higher purpose, so to speak.
0: Yeah. And uh, it's kind of, uh, a lot of people kind of ask sometimes, they're just like, so, you know, when you land in an ecosystem, what do you do? And it's, you just start talking to people. You start interacting, you have a coffee and it is in a lot of times. And I think that this is, um, this is indicative of Connecticut. I mean, we're a small ecosystem, uh, where I think there's, uh, you know, um, probably a thousand, maybe 1500 active people that are doing different stuff, different activities, you know, have companies and we're all a few, you know, a few connections away from each other. And that is something where it's like, you know, like, well, I mean, it's great to meet you. It's all that, but you, you know, what you're doing doesn't resonate with me, but I know it's going to resonate with these three people and then connect with those three people, right? And then those three connections turn into somebody else. So it's kind of one of those things where it's almost, um, uh, for some people it's natural, right? It's just a natural thing to reach out and connect while other people, uh, it takes a little bit more out or, uh, out of them to, to do that. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm glad that you uh, you you felt right at home in doing that here in Connecticut, right? And just, just, just started yeah. reaching out and, and doing that, so.
1: <laughs> but it's awesome if you have like these incubators where there's just a whole lot of people right there and then yeah you like the next person you'll just coincidentally start talking to while you're grabbing a coffee will might be an entrepreneur or or somebody that's like working on some really something really interesting something really interesting and and that's that's just really awesome Uh, yeah yeah
0: so uh what uh so getting into a little bit more of the game dev ct is like who are the types of people that are, are kind of in, in your community here? Are is it mostly developers? Is it mostly people trying to, like, you know, create games? Or is it the academic side? Because I know you kind of have a little bit of mix of, of everybody.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's definitely a mix. So that's, that's also because it's not, like, it's not possible to create a company with just uh, owners of companies uh, uh, in the industry and, and the games industry in Connecticut. That's not going to be a big enough group, like, and, and it is really pretty much about an ecosystem where you have, uh, like in a real ecosystem, like you have all kinds of uh, um, conditions that can, that can kind of, and it builds up to each other, like in kind of a, a whole chain. And, and it starts with students um, or just people that are interested in, in game development. And, and, and then indeed, you have people working at game companies. You have actual companies. Uh, I mean, there could be people working out of state for a games company, but living in Connecticut. And then you have actual local companies in Connecticut. Maybe they use game technology. Uh, if, they, if they don't do the game development themselves, maybe they, they use that technology. Or, or, and there's educational institutions. There's researchers doing research into games. Um, so that is definitely uh, something where um, all of these different actors have a really interesting role and a position. And they can, can move around And that, like if somebody working on a game in their spare time might end up working for a company doing games commercially later. Um, So yeah, it is a mix. Um, So we have a few uh, universities um, offering game development education. There is Quinnipiac University. There is UConn. uh, There is Sacred Heart University. Um, So there is a few that offer that uh, direction. Um, So that is really interesting. And then uh, from there, yeah, like, for example, at CT, we have our uh, mixers every month. Uh, we kind of uh, used to get together. It, it started uh, kind of around the uh, free public library and of uh, of New Haven. Um, but then we kind of started moving around. And now with COVID, we're, we're, we moved to Discord, uh, where we do our uh, mixers. But you see a lot of, indeed, uh, it, it is a mix. Like, I would say a lot of programmers, though, that are interested in kind of, programming something in their spare time and then kind of uh, turning that into a games company. But there's also people that just do art or focus very much on art or or just other people that are just interested and they come and they they kind of listen and kind of take a look at uh, what is being developed. Uh, So yeah, it is is pretty much a mix and and we're we're always looking for ways to grow it and to kind of um, also work together with other Groups uh, like, for example, uh, yeah, Techstars. That's how we uh, how we worked together. Where we kind of did the Game FCT Mixer within the program uh, of Techstars, and then uh, yeah, with the library in New Haven, as I mentioned, there was like real art space uh, in Hartford where we uh, uh, they had like this uh, kind of art gallery space where people could project their games onto the wall, and that was kind of cool. It was kind of made it like an art uh, uh, kind of a statement (laughs) about games as art which was really interesting so it's always nice to kind of cross-pollinate work with other groups and kind of uh, do that whole networking thing but then on a a different scale
2: so that brings me to my next question actually um the prototyping process right i kind of just you know in a in kind of you know i'm sure there's a lot to it what's how long is rapid prototyping you know and and where how far are you getting some of these programs i'm sure it's it's probably different for you know depending on the project right but what's what's kind of typical you know how does what people come to you with they just come to you with an idea Do they usually come to you with like something already built um where does the process kind of start and where do you kind of hand
1: it off yeah so um where it starts sometimes uh, of course it can start at various stages um uh, at the most minimal stage people have a certain vision of oh i want to have a product that caters towards this or this market uh, and then we brainstorm so then they they start not with a concrete idea but really more with a vision of, of something they want to achieve as like more of a, of a goal and then we brainstorm and uh, and come up with different ideas. Sometimes you do a, like a technical feasibility study also, if, if people have an idea that may not be technically possible or that really walks the line of what is technically possible. Um, and uh, in other cases, people have a more concrete idea and then we just talk about it. Uh, so we, then it's really more about, yeah, understanding it, understanding their vision. Why would they want to do it that way? Uh, so it, it's really important to kind of understand, like when it comes to prototyping, you have to understand where somebody wants to get, because what you're offering is kind of a step along this, along the way to get there and you want to step in the right direction. So uh, it is important for us to understand where do, do they want to get? How do they envision the product? Um, why are people going to use it? What are some of the unique selling points? Actually a lot of questions that you should ask yourself as a startup anyway, but that's kind of what we ask our clients to really understand, where they want to get because then we have to narrow that down. We, um, prototyping is all about uh, understanding the whole scope of a potential product or game and then narrowing it down to a few of the key features and the, the, what is really important. Um, so that that is a very important step in the process. So that's uh, and then um, sometimes people come to us that are even further um maybe they've already thought about that maybe they've even already worked on something we have cases where researchers come to us they've already done something with students they've worked on something but they're not quite getting where they need to it to be and then they need a prototype to be able to do their research study and then we kind of come in a bit later in the game um so yeah um, then in terms of how long a prototype can take um it depends of course so um what we do is like with prototyping, it's like an iterative process. You start with a very narrow, very small scope kind of version of your initial idea. Um, So you can build it and then quickly see it and experiment with it, learn about it. So you can make educated decisions based on actual experience interacting with it. And then you you say, okay, what are we going to change? So that's this iterative process. You do your first iteration, you kind of look at it, it's kind of like a scientific method uh, a bit. Like you have a certain hypothesis. That's your first iteration. Then you kind of look at it. You learn about it. And then you make some decisions. Uh, maybe you see, OK, this part didn't really work well. How should we do it next? Maybe there's two different ideas. Yeah, maybe let's try both. Let's kind of put these two ideas in there and in the second iteration so we can kind of look at how they turn out and compare them. Um, so that's how you iterate, and so basically the length of a prototype or how long you're going to be prototyping this depends on the number of iterations. In some cases, it's only one, if especially if people are comparing a lot of different concepts. Let's say you have different possible options, you kind of want to just put them next to each other, do a first iteration, and then kill everything except the one that is the best one, um, or maybe kill all of them if. if if you, if you learn, I mean, if you can learn that maybe, maybe this idea that I was pursuing, maybe it's not going to work um, for this or this reason, I learned something new here. Uh, and then you can actually save a lot of money by uh, not having to develop it all the way through. Uh, but then, uh, yeah, you, you can then take a prototype and iterate more on it. Kind of as I mentioned, like you have certain ideas that may not have worked out, or you want, or you want to try additional ideas to kind of validate them before actually going into production. So that's kind of the, the key here. Like it's about you prototype as long as uh, as you feel there's significant areas to be explored where you, can, uh, where you can learn more about the concept and kind of refine the concept or uh, until you say, okay, now let's uh, scrap let's the source code and let's start from scratch and let, let's build something proper with, with, with all these lessons that we learned during prototyping, uh, taking those into account. Uh, so that is a, that is definitely an important part to 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 know that yes you prototype until a certain moment and if the question is until when well it kind of depends on your how comfortable you feel taking certain risks for example creative risks in terms of uh, yeah how many stones do you want to leave. And turned uh, uh, before you stop prototyping so it, if you're if you want if you're okay get a rough sense uh, about an idea and then move forward that's fine if, if you feel you want to be a bit more thorough or you have the budget to do that or to really optimize and kind of find the best possible concept you want to be <clears throat> prototyping a bit longer um, so that's that typically uh, and then yeah so I would say on average two and a half iterations, uh, that's kind of the average that we see. Sometimes it's only one, sometimes it goes all the way to maybe four or five iterations, but I would say on average between two and three. So that's why I'm saying two and a half. Nobody or, <laughs> actually, no, no, but nobody does like half an iteration. But, uh,
0: well, they do, they do. And they just kill the product. They're like, we're done. We're done with this thing. And listen, that's a, the part of a prototype and an MVP is to get to a go, no-go decision, right? It's like, we are moving forward with this. We have enough traction or we don't. Like that's, that's, yeah. that's okay. And for a lot of entrepreneurs, I mean, that's the actual point is to get to that. No uh, go, no go decision as quick as possible. And then, yeah. you know, and so that's the, that's the idea of the MVP and, and, and the prototype. Um, so I guess there's uh, in this, you know, uh, uh, time flies and obviously we're going to be, we're going to be actually wrapping up soon. Uh, we're definitely going to love to do another uh, uh, session with you on game dev CT and kind of talk to some other uh, players because, you actually hit on uh, a key thing uh, about kind of how you have a bunch of different uh, types of people in your community is that a startup community is about connecting with coders, entrepreneurs, right? Artists, and then, you know, academics and other, and it's all, it's different, a bunch of different actors and and factors kind of come together uh, uh, to kind of create a uh, community. And so, um, and so like on, on that uh, front, um, Oh my God! I think I just I think I just totally oh, I totally just uh, lost my train. Um, no, so uh, Jesus Christ, Chris, you're totally gonna have to uh, edit this. Part. Oh no, I'm leaving this part. Um, is embarrassing. So, oh, this is gonna leave it in sure. just because I'm because I'm up. the one that, yeah, no. that <laughs> finally loses train of thought. Um, So I guess, no, so now, now I know what I was going to say. So when it comes to you, because you mentioned it before, when you're doing the stuff in the real art ways up in, up in Hartford is that sometimes, you know, games are an art form, right? It's kind of like that, the statement of games as, as an art form. So like, can you talk a little bit about kind of combined, like when you're, when people are thinking about gaming, it's like, there's an art form of developing a game, but then there's like the business of the game, right? Like, what what's the game intended for? Is it to drive revenue? Is it like I mean, there has to be some sort of like business model around most games, right? I, I'm not familiar with it. So, how no. do you balance like when you when you talk to people, like how do you balance the art of the game versus like the business and like the the true kind of uh, uh reason for the game kind of existing?
1: Yeah, I think it's um, when we're talking about like for example, let's say somebody approaches us to develop a prototype, and we want to learn more about it. Um, in order to understand why they're passionate, I mean, yeah, when doing contract work, like working for a client, it's really important to get passionate and and to really uh, get into their mind and understand, like, why are they passionate about this? And and so it kind of comes a bit from both ways. So of course, I want to understand why they're passionate about something. I also want to advise them on on how maybe on how to approach it through prototyping, but also <clears throat> in order to understand, like. Uh, what is really important, and that sometimes people haven't necessarily thought about it. Uh, but uh, yeah, it is. It is there a, definitely that kind of art side in terms of understanding the, the gameplay and, and kind of uh, the appeal to players. And that that's actually very. <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> that's uh, where it comes together. I, I think like um, you have to know which audience it's for um, for the in, in terms of for the business side. Uh, and But you have to cater to that audience in a certain way by delivering on that uh, promise of, of creating something really interesting and, or engaging. or um, But uh, indeed, so it comes, I think it's on one hand, you have the understanding of the audience. Um, but a lot of people start from their own passion as well. Like you have people that think, oh, yeah, what game would I want to play? And then they kind of make a game that uh, is kind of something they would like to play and because they have a strong opinion about that, but then it's important, I think, to, to think further about, OK, who else is in that position? Who else may enjoy this? And then kind of cater towards that. Um, so I, I do think, uh, yeah, both sides are really important. And, and sometimes uh, I, I think, uh, for example, if, you're, if you forget about the business side, then it's pr- you're probably not going to be able to find an audience. You really have to think about it. You have to kind of start building an audience somebody that's going to see your game. Like you have to find a way to connect to the people, for example, such as yourself that would like this type of game. Um, but on the other side, if you just see games as a pure business opportunity and you only have kind of the business kind of sense and not necessarily the gamer kind of sense or the passion, then uh, then it's hard to get it right. Also, you need to, it is still kind of an art form and, and you have to kind of find the right talent if you don't have the passion yourself. but the, having that passion is uh, I think really important and, and, and having a good balance or, or, or even in the team that you have people that understand maybe the product that you're building and then that are also commercially and in in terms of marketing skilled, I think that's really important to have a bit of both, and especially in games because you have, yeah, it's, it is kind of emerging of, in a way art and technology. And then, and then, yeah, you have to have a business model and sell that, um, when it comes specifically to the different business models in the games industry, there are some in, some models that kind of work and that you can kind of see, like a, uh, like for example, yeah, if you make a mobile game, that's uh, that's partly dictated by the ecosystem you're in. Uh, if you're gonna, uh, yeah, put your game on the on Google Play and the, and the iOS uh, iPhone App Store and such, um, yeah. You, you, you there's basically two options like either you sell your game at a certain price or you give it for free and then you have in-app purchases and then of course there's different ways of doing that and and i think kind of observing what other companies do and what works in, in terms of those business models is is, is pretty interesting so yeah um, it's not always necessary to innovate in, in that area um, but it's it's like there's different ways to to get to a successful product. And usually it does come with some level of innovation, either maybe the business model that you kind of approach it a bit differently, or or finding a way to your audience in a kind of a not so uh, intuitive way. Um, or maybe it's just a concept that's very unique. Um or or what big companies do, they just throw more money at it and they make the same. <laughs> Thing, but uh, bigger <laughs> and uh, and better. Uh, but that's not. I wouldn't recommend as approach to a small startup. Like you don't want to compete uh, to uh, to whoever has more money. Uh- but, but people have more money, or <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, that's, a, that's a race to the bottom, basically. You know?
1: Yeah, uh, it just the reverse sense race, race to the top, yeah, um,
0: to, to the top of spending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so we are uh, gonna wrap it up, um, because I know that there's uh, um, honestly, there's some questions I'm gonna ask, they're just gonna bring us to, to a whole nother episode. Um, but I do uh, because I do want to uh, circle back with you and talk about uh, digital art and NFTs and and kind of like this uh, uh digital um. Uh, uh, currency within app, uh, like uh, uh, in-app purchases, which is very, it's just wild how much money is is uh, garnered through in-app purchases for some of these games, right? Um, so so that's always interesting. Um, we'll obviously circle back with you about Game Dev CT, like, like I mentioned before, um, but uh, for our audience uh, and, and Juan, I wanna say thank you very much for being with us today and telling us about your journey. Uh, I do think it is, it is crucial to hear people like you who are the trailing spouses. Uh, Even coming from another country, um, and and finding it to be possible to create a community here in Connecticut, to find the people that are passionate about the games that you're you're in, passionate about the industries, and and make the connections. Because um, you know a lot for a lot of people, they think it's daunting to 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 do that. Um, And I think you you like you mentioned it, one conversation leads to another. That's just like it's it's just the, the snowball effect of that. Um, so so I, I really do want to uh, thank you for uh, sharing that. Um, but so how can people reach out to you, whether it be at Preview Labs or at, um, uh, at Game Dev CT? How can people uh, interact with you?
1: Yeah, for Preview Labs, the easiest way is probably, uh, yeah, you can look me up on LinkedIn, of course, or you can go to the PreviewLabs.com website. There's a contact form. You can you can send me a message through there. Um, and for Game Dev CT, there is gamedevct.org um, where there's a mailing list, uh, and there's also a link to, for example, our discord channel. Uh, so if you want to, uh, yeah, kind of know what's going on and, and in terms of events from, uh, when the next uh, game left CT mixer is, you just sign up to the mailing list uh, and subscribe to our discord channel.
2: Uh, I think yeah. I'll be signing up for
0: that. That sounds pretty cool.
1: That's awesome. Then I'll see you there. <laughs> and uh, we
0: will provide those links in, the, in our show notes as well. So um, Bernard, uh, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, until the next time, uh, you know, uh, enjoy yourself and uh, keep, uh, keep up the hustle.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me again. It was a, a pleasure. It was, it's always fun. <laughs> it is, it is. So, all right. Have a good day. Have a good day.
0: Bye guys. It is with great excitement that in 2021 we are blessed to have two new sponsors for the CT Startup Podcast. One of those sponsors is CT Next, an organization each one of our hosts, as well as many of our guests and listeners, have had the opportunity and pleasure of interacting with. I am going to let Glendalyn Thames, Deputy Commissioner of the DCD and founding Executive Director of CT Next, explain what CT Next does for early stage businesses here in Connecticut.
3: So what is CT Next? Our our mission um, fundamentally is really to equip early stage companies and entrepreneurs with resources, guidance, um, networks to accelerate their their growth um, and, and really creating an environment where our entrepreneurs can really start their business, grow their business and thrive in Connecticut and positioning Connecticut as the most desirable location in the country for an innovative company to build and grow and create jobs. And we do this, uh, you know, a few different ways, right? Um, One by, you know, really cultivating a network of public-private partnerships and really acting as a catalyst um, that supports entrepreneurs from ideation and growth to exits. Um, but then also, you know, providing direct funding to companies as well. So we have many programs um, that are non-dilutive capital to help accelerate kind of the early stages of growth of a company. Um, and then, you know, we we offer uh, other programming relative to, you know, again, building that that, in, that community infrastructure across our state. So if you think about, you know, incubators, accelerators, co-working spaces, where that, that dynamic knowledge sharing is happening and where kind of innovation actually starts and, and occurs.
0: For more information, please visit www.ctnext.com. Thank you for listening to CT Startup more connecticut startup news information and events can be found at ctstartup.com the weekly episodes of this podcast can be downloaded from itunes google play stitcher and ctstartup.com see you next week